And uh, I walked in uh, to her mom's house, and on the counter there's this list, and it says, like, ceiling fan, toilet, bolts. There's, like, a whole long list of things. And I'm like, that's a weird shopping list. Like, she needs a lot of home improvement items. And, uh, and then she comes in, and she writes my name at the top of it. And it, it turns out those are all the things that I need to fix while I'm there. And so uh, I get started fixing all my stuff. This is a huge list. So like over the course of the weekend, my head's behind the toilet. I'm repairing the ceiling fan. I'm replacing something outside. I'm tightening bolts and opening jars and all kind of like this huge honey-do list. I'm doing IT work, fixing her internet, fixing her printer. And most of it's just showing her, <laughs> you have to hit print right here. And then the paper comes out. You know, like some simple stuff. But that's like my, my list throughout the whole weekend. And I'm telling you, it starts to be kind of fun because I'm knocking things off. And I'm like marking them off the list as I go. And at the end of the weekend, I've done like ten things. And then Jess is like, oh, my gosh, we have all these things to do at our house. <laughs> and she's like, I need a son-in-law to come to my house and do all these things. But so that was a lot of fun. I'm not going to lie. I complained about it a little bit just so people, just so People would be like, no, thank you, it's so helpful. Um, but, uh, but it was way more fun than just sitting around at my in-law's house, you know. Um, but, so we did that. That was, that was a lot of fun. After that, we went to visit Jess's grandfather. Uh, he had a little bit of a health scare and um, actually a couple different things since December. And uh, he's been kind of sick. Jess went to see him once. And so we went to see him again. And, um, of course, when you're the only pastor in the family, you know, you... You pray for everybody. Every meal I pray, you know, like I'm the only one who can do it. And so I, I pray for before the meals. If anybody dies, I preach the funerals. You know, if anybody gets married, I do the weddings. And so, you know, that's like my role in the family. So they always need me to come when anybody's sick and like lay hands on them or something. And um, so I go do that stuff. But, um, but anyway, I go and I talk to him. And, uh, and, and man, like this man doesn't say much. You know, he's in his uh, 80s now. And uh, he's just not a big talker, never has been. And, um, but he just starts talking like crazy. And he starts talking about, you know, I thought I was going to die a couple times. And I was trying to think, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there and I think i got a couple hours. I'm going into surgery. The statistics are really low about people that come out of this. And, and I'm thinking, what do you got to do to prepare to die? And, um, and it was just... This is a crazy conversation, you know, and he's saying, I'm trying to think, I, you know, I can't call everybody and, 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 you know, all the things that I've messed up and what do I have to do? And, and you know, I've been praying for, for years for an opportunity to have this kind of conversation with some of my extended family. And we were trying to get out the door and it was like 110 and I was hot and Molly was ready to go. And, and that was like, man, you know, here you go. You know, this is just gift wrap for you. Somebody's saying, how do you prepare to die? I mean, that's, that's like what you want when you want to talk to somebody about Jesus. And so I just get to tell him some reality that I share with everybody who, you know, um, is facing something similar that I've gotten to talk to in the hospital or whatnot. And I just said, you know, if you, this is what somebody told me, an old pastor friend that he tells everybody, but he said, if you prepare for death ahead of time, then you'll be ready when it comes. And you won't have anything to do. When, when you're there, you won't have anything to do. And if you treat people well, um, you won't have to apologize to everybody. And if you take care of your family, you won't have to say sorry for everything you didn't do in that last moment. And if you put your faith in Jesus and you seek him for forgiveness, you don't have to take care of that either. 
And if you just live ready to die, then you don't have to get ready in the last minute. And so um, I got to share some of that with him. And that was really exciting. And, and, um, and he wasn't like, oh, man, baptize me now. But, um, but it was great, you know. And, and it was sort of the beginning of a, of a conversation that I never got to have with him and with my, my great-grandmother-in-law or my grandmother-in-law. And um, so the whole trip was kind of like a roller coaster, you know. And I'm, like, doing home improvement chores. And then I'm, then I'm in pastor mode. And then I'm in evangelist mode and I'm sharing the gospel and then there's other things that happened while we're there which you know you I don't have to tell you guys you've been to family reunions it's the ultimate humbling experience when you realize this is what you come from and uh and so you know there were bad interactions and there were good interactions and 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 which is much the case every time we go back but um much of that flowing around in my head and then thinking about today is why, and really a lot of the challenging stuff, is, is why I'm excited about today. And, and this sort of thing that I've been digging through uh, as I interacted with so much family. But in, in Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5 sort of prompts you, this one passage in there, sort of prompts you to ask one question. And I think asking this one question overcomes the parts of the weekend that were crazy when it came to family and weren't so pleasant. I think it, it solves those issues when it comes to family. I think it solves so many issues when it comes to the church. And I think on a nationwide scale, especially, you know, not to say that these times are unheard of, but we're definitely in a time of like unrest, you know, politically and in so many different areas in, in our country. And I think that asking this question solves so much of that. It just disarms hostility. And this little passage here is like the most helpful thing you can do when, when you're in any of those kind of situations. And, and it takes some humility. But if you can humble yourself and ask this question, it's like this huge game changer. And so I'm thinking about that this whole weekend. Um, but it's in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Ephesians 5.21, and here's what's happening. We've hung out in Ephesians chapter 5, or in Ephesians, for three of the seven weeks we've been talking about family. So we've been in here a whole lot, but somehow we've been like all around this verse, but we haven't actually come to this verse. But before we jump into this text, let me tell you something that I love about the book of Ephesians. So uh, Ephesians is, it's written to the church at Ephesus. This is what's pretty interesting to me. Ephesus is a church that was started by Priscilla and Aquila. I actually have an aunt, Priscilla, and uh, I have another family member named Aquila. So that's pretty weird. Um, but that has nothing to do with this. But um, started by Priscilla and Aquila. They're two people that are married, and they're tent makers. So they, like, make tents for a living, which is also what Paul did. And, um, and they actually moved from wherever they were from to Ephesus to start a church. And they started the church, and they worked in the church, and they, were, uh, and they also worked jobs while they were planning the church. And, uh, and the church kind of struggled, and it had triumphs, and it had real struggles. And, uh, and then Paul came in after some of those struggles and, and took this church that they had started and really made it something incredible. Um, but anyway, so that's why it's cool to me. I mean, you know, it, it reminds me of me a little bit. And it reminds me of Jess and I and sort of like coming here and, and, and working jobs, but working in the life of the church. And, and so when I look at it, and then I think about Ephesus, which is like a major urban area in its region. 
I mean, in the South, you've got four major cities, urban areas in the South. You've got Atlanta, Miami, New Orleans, and Nashville. And those are by far the four major cities in the Southeast. And, uh, and we're not within, uh, other than us and Miami, are further away from all the other ones of those. And so we're sort of alone down here, and we have by far the most history of those four major cities. And so, I don't know, Ephesus just reminds me of like two people moving to a city of influence, and I just think... If there's a book in the Bible that speaks very, like, that has a situation so closely to ours here at this church, like, this is the one. So anyway, I was reading that not long ago, and, and I just come across that. It's kind of neat to me. I'm thinking about starting to make tents just so I can, you know, bring the rest of it home. But, um, so here we go, Ephesians chapter 5. And uh, we're going to really back up here. So I'm going to back all the way up to verse 8, but I'm not going to read the whole thing, but just so you get some context. So it's pretty interesting. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, it says... For you were once in darkness, talking about all of us. It says, you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. You were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And so he's saying, like, you are supposed to be light in the world. And in being light in the world, and you skip down to verse 15, he starts saying what it looks like to do that. And he says, so here's how you live when you're supposed to be the light of the world. He says, verse 15, you've got to be careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. And you've got to make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And, and don't be foolish, uh, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. He says, um, and when you're doing that, you know, speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And verse 20, he says, always give thanks to the Lord. And so he's telling you all these things in 15 through 21 that you're supposed to do as a child of God. And so then you get down to verse 21, and he ends this section of saying, this is how you live as children of the light. This is how you're supposed to live as followers of Jesus. And he says, and the last thing you're supposed to do is submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is what I think is so incredible about that little verse right there is notice verse 22 is where a lot of people start reading and they go, oh, that makes me so mad. Or, you know, that's the reason I can't get with, you know, all this Christianity stuff or that piece bothers me. But man, if you just back up one verse, man, it really changes the way that that's supposed to be read. Here's, here's what I think it's telling you for domineering husbands and, and, and foolish women and all the other things I could say about people that, that dig into this and, and hate it, right? Here's what it tells you. Who is supposed to submit in this verse? Who's supposed to be the person doing the submission? Man, the verse is for everyone. It says, submit to one another. Everyone, submit to who? Everyone, submit to everyone else. Homeless and poor, submit to the rich and powerful. Rich and powerful, submit yourself to the rich and poor. Round people, thin people, blind people. I said round people. If anybody comes in here and says, I felt like you were preaching to me. You know, I was, that was not for anybody in particular. Round people, thin people, blind people, deaf people, mentally handicapped people, people of other races, people of other nationalities, young people, much younger people. Older people submitting to one another. Foolish children of yours submitting to them. Everyone submitting to everybody. 
And, and what we often say is, nah, you know, some of those people you named, they don't deserve that at all. And to that, all I can say is, you are absolutely right. They absolutely don't deserve it. But what I can say clearly is that you and I didn't deserve it either. And yet, the Scripture, here's what Jesus did for us in submitting. It says, He made Himself lower than the angels. Man, Jesus, the, the God of heaven came down and submitted to an earthly mother. The God of heaven came down and He let people slap Him in the face and spit in His face. He let them hang Him naked on a cross in submitting to you and me so He could do something for us. Man, I just think of all the ways that God could have ended that completely. You know, I mean, the God of heaven and earth. I mean, He could have, you know, He's the the God of time. He could have pulled some Black Hawk helicopter from the future when all of them are sitting right there in the temple and, and, and they would have all been like, holy cow, you know? And, and, and man, they would have worshipped him because he would have been an incredible, it just would have been something they had never heard of. I mean, he had options. He could have commanded a thousand angels to come down and just smite everybody in the crowd who's, who's spitting on him and yelling at him. I mean, he had every option at his disposal. Thank God that when, when my students and, and, and classes that I teach are being terrible, I cannot smite them. <laughs> that would not be a good option for me to have. God could have done any of that, but instead what he did is he just died for them. And he submitted himself to the Father, and he submitted himself to people much lower than himself. And he became subject to them so that he might die and bring them new life. And so do people deserve you submitting to them? Heck no. Do you deserve it? Absolutely not. Man, but it's just not about what you deserve. That's not what the passage is about. You see, when Jesus came to earth, and this, heck, this is still true today, this is what people said. They said, the people with the power make all the rules. And so the more power you get, you get to make the rules, and you get to be in charge. And that's who gets to decide who does what. And Jesus came and said, no, absolutely not. He said, the people with the power serve the powerless. And in turn, the powerless serve the people with power. But obviously, who has more of a platform and opportunity to serve? Well, it's the people with the power. And so it's just the opposite of all that that you think. And Paul and Peter were so amazed by this whole idea. Remember, they started as people that wanted to rule with Jesus. And then they ended with people who just wanted to serve Jesus. And they were amazed by this idea of Jesus sort of turning all that on its head. And they said, how can we apply this thing to family? Like, this thing has been incredible in the life of the church. How do we apply all this to family? And that's when you get to verse 22 is them sort of figuring out how you apply submitting to one another in the life of your family. And they said some crazy things. They said, husbands, this is crazy. Husbands, you have to love your wife. You know, she is not your property, believe it or not. You have to love her. And no matter how much you paid for her, because they actually had to pay, you know, no matter how much you paid for her, you know, she is not your property. No matter how much those shoes cost, she did not become your property when you purchased them. Like, you actually have to love them. And that was crazy. And then they said, wives, you have to submit to your husbands. And I'm sure some of these women said, have you met my husband? <laughs> He's not, not the kind of person that, that makes you want to just submit. And he said, parents, don't exasperate your children. And I'm sure a number of children said, but they exasperate me. <laughs> like, it's really hard to not do that. And they said, you've got to obey your parents. 
And some of us would say, my parents are stuck in the 80s or the 70s or the 60s or the 50s. (laughs) And their expectations don't make sense anymore. Like, that's a hard thing to do. And, and I'd say, yeah, it's, it's not easy. And I think what Jesus says is, man, what I did wasn't very easy either. I died on the cross for a whole bunch of people, and they didn't even have the decency to bring the cross up there for me. I had to carry it on my back. Like, no part of submitting to someone else is easy. And it may take you way further than you want to go. But if we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to have to follow him in submitting to some other people. Um, submit to everyone. That's the idea. The idea is that we are people that are submitting to everyone. But then the question becomes, how do I do that? You know, I've got to be a parent, so, so how can I lead and submit? And, you know, if I, just, if I said, hey, you know, kid, what do you want me to do now? I mean, that would be chaotic, you know? Like, how on earth do I do that? That answering that question is the part that when I've been saying this is revolutionary, this question that the text pushes you to ask, that's the part that's revolutionary. This seems to be the way that Jesus lived, just sort of asking this question. And, and even though these words aren't recorded, I can see Jesus asking this question as he fed 5,000 people and as he healed a blind man and probably as he was a kid talking to his mom. And I think this is the question that the text pushes us to ask. And it's really, really simple. It pushes us to ask, how can I help? How can I help? And I think everybody that Jesus came across, he didn't say to the blind man, how can I lead you? No, he said, how can I help? And, and what did he do? He healed the blind man. And, 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 you know, when it came to the crowds of people, he didn't say, come follow me and let me lead you. He said, how can I help? Right? What can I do for you? And so he died for them so that they could have new life. And over and over and over, Jesus is coming and what he's doing is helping rather than saying, follow me and I'll lead you where you need to go, right? It's more like, it's not like stand way behind, it's like come with me and let me help you. I think that's what's pretty revolutionary. Just asking the question, how can I help? I think that's how you can begin to submit to people. That's the idea of mutual submission is beginning to say, how can I help? So look, here's what I know. Some of us don't get much practice doing it, so let's say it together, okay? So on three, how can I help? You ready? One, two, three. How can I help? That was one more time. Well, You've you got to get it out there, okay? One, two, three. How can I help? That was so good. It wasn't so hard. Huh? Everybody, don't start answering everybody around you, right? Um, hold those in until the end. How can I help? Look, look, I don't love... Man, when a student comes to me and says, you know, it's the last day, I failed everything, I did nothing, and I've, you know, and, 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 but I still need to pass, man, the first thing that comes to my mind is not, how can I help, right? I mean, that, that's just a hard thing to come about sometimes, and it can be a scary, scary question. When you're a kid and you ask, how can I help? You're afraid you're going to be pulling up weeds or or raking pine straw or, you know, like there are lots of ways you can help. And and so that's that's scary because that you're going to be, you know, you're going to lose all your freedom. As a husband, you know, if I ask, how can I help? 
I'm probably going to be learning where we keep the, the detergent, you know, and all that kind of stuff. I mean, like, if I ask how can I help, Jess, like, in unison, doesn't even stop. She just starts listing things, <laughs> one at a time, you know. And, uh, and, man, there are all kind of things, and you sort of get afraid that if you ask to help, then, then you know, you're going to get caught up in that. But here's what I guarantee you. I guarantee you if you ask how can I help, it won't ever go unnoticed. And nobody will, will just glaze over the fact that you came in and asked, how do I help? I imagine like a middle schooler. If you had middle schoolers, right, or you are a middle schooler, what if, you, what if a middle schooler came in and said, how can I help? Would that not be just incredible? If Molly came in and said, how can I help? Which she does say that all the time now, but it's like no help, you know. Um, but, man, wouldn't that be incredible if your middle schooler came in and said, how can I help? The middle schooler probably would have to do nothing because she'd just be picking your jaw up off the floor. <laughs> like, it would be so incredible. I heard this guy, and he's like, man, if you do that, probably what will happen is you won't have to do anything, um, especially if you do it, if you're a middle schooler and you do that in front of your, your parents' friends. You know? And if in front of your parents' friends you just walk up and say, hey, how can I help? <laughs> like your parents will be gods to all the other parents, you know, and they'll probably appreciate it so much you'll never actually have to help at all. And they'll just be clamoring at your parents like, teach us. Like, it would be so incredible. Um, but, man, how, how incredible would that be if, if a middle schooler who came to follow Jesus came to their parents and said, how can I help? Wouldn't that be incredible? What if, what if as a parent you said, how can I help? And not, let me offer my opinion. Or let me tell you how I'm already helping. Let me tell you what to do next. You know, and, and I'm trying to help in giving my opinion, but what if I didn't tell you What if I didn't presuppose that you wanted my opinion? What if I just said, how can I help you? What can I do for you? No matter how old your children are, what if once a day you just said, how can I help? And then you just did it. And it wasn't like, well, you wouldn't need that kind of help if you'd done this, 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 and this. But it was just some help, just just whatever they needed, you know, unless it's like $1,000, you know, or something like that. But, you know, how can I help? And then you just followed it through and did it. What it says, I think, when you say, how can I help? It says, it just says to them, I see that you're carrying some sort of burden. I see that you're carrying something, and, and, and how can I leverage my time and my ability to help you? It just says, that, that's what I want to do. And it says way more than I can take one thing off your plate. It says, I see that you're struggling, and I want to help. Here's what I think is really great about this question. This whole principle, here's what I think is, is incredible about it, is that it works at home. Like, it's, it's, it's great at home, you know. And if I just walk around saying, Jess, how can I help? I stay out of so much trouble, you know. I mean, if I just walk around saying that, it, it works phenomenally. It's revolutionary in the church. Man, when, when people stop saying, they need to, she needs to, he needs to, fix this, do that, grow the church. You know, when we stop saying, so-and-so needs to do, 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 and, and people just start saying, how can I help? And not, not come and ask me, how can I help, right? I never know. I always say, go see Jess. Um, but when people start saying, you know, even intrinsically, what, what can I do to help us? You know, what, what can I do to help us, to, you know, accomplish the mission that we've sort of set out to accomplish? When people start saying, how can I help in the church? Man, it, it changes the nature of the church. It works at home. It works in the church. 
You know, it works at work. I mean, put yourself in, in your boss's shoes. If, you, if you're the boss, you know, you, you imagine if, if some employee comes in and they say, you know what, usually when I finish my work a little early, um, I, you know, I go play solitaire on my computer, but I keep my email in the immediate next tab, so when you come back, just click over real fast. But instead, I'm going to take my extra time, and what do you need? You know, like, what, what do you need? Do you need some help? Is there something that I can help you do? Man, would that not be like, that's another jaw-dropping moment. Like, how, how can I help? That'd be incredible. Alternatively, what if your boss came to you and said, how can I help? You know, and you're the, you're the maybe you're a secretary or maybe you're a teacher and it's a principal. You know, I, I, don't, I don't know, whatever it is, but, but what if they just came and said, how can I help you? You know? Man, wouldn't that be incredible? Whatever you need, you know, it may not be what I do, but how can I help you? Man, this principle is just universal. It goes across everything that we do. Here's what I think is also pretty great. This is one of those things that works whether you're a Christian or not. You know, you're a Christian, somebody else isn't, somebody else isn't, you are. Whoever asked the question, who's ever on the receiving end of the question, man, it, it just absolutely works. It works for all of us, and that's pretty cool. It's one of those universal truths that you can do no matter where you are on that spectrum. But here's, here's what's also true. It works no matter if you're a Christian or not or who's on the other end. But if you are a Christian, here's the reality about that question and that idea. It's not an option. It's a mandate. Like it's a mandate to live that way. And the thing is, really, why would you want a choice to live any other way? Man, when you see, here's what Scripture says. It says, while you and I were still helpless, you know, while we couldn't help ourselves, while we, everything, we were struggling and we needed help, it says, back when you were still helpless, at the right time. And I think that's pretty interesting because God doesn't say, you know, I will, you know I'll get to you in a minute. You know, give me some time and, and eventually I'm going to get there. And, you know, I'm, I know i got to, you know, die for your sins, but give me a little time. I'm just busy with this and that. Oops, you died in your sin, you know. Like it's, it says, at the right time, right? None of that got to happen because while we were helpless, at the right time, Christ died for us. Why would we want to do anything else? And if we're going to be followers of Jesus, the very nature of being a follower is doing what the leader does. And so it's not an option of whether or not we get to ask this and live this way. It's just a matter of whether we're going to be obedient or not. I think what Jesus said, the way he lived his life was saying, what can I do to help? And the way eternity works is saying, what can I do to help? And Paul and Peter went a step further and said, what if we even did that in our families? What if it wasn't just spiritually? What if it wasn't just in this realm? What if we did it in everything? What would that look like in a family? Um, Here's what I'll say as I finish up. I'll say this one thing, and I'll just leave you with this, because I think it'll help you apply this principle, and it'll also be the thing that when you think about it, you'll, you'll just, you know, if, if you ever seethe or you mutter under your breath, this will be the time that you do it. But here's the reality about this principle. When you want to ask at least, when you want to ask at least, that's when you need to ask it most. And when you, when it's like it's so hard to get the words out of your mouth, that's when you need to ask it most. And sometimes you've got to say it through gritted teeth. But that's what you've got to do. When you want to ask at least, you probably need to ask it most. Let me pray. God, I...